You are listening to the Passion City Church podcast. To learn more about Passion City Church, including our gathering times in Atlanta and Washington, D.C., visit us online at passioncitychurch.com. Today's talk comes from Aaron Coe. So over the last few days, I've gotten to spend a little bit of time with my dad. My dad's 75 years old, in great health, praise God. And uh, we got to spend a little bit of time together. And so as we often do when we're together, um, we'll talk about the past and we'll talk about people from the past. We'll talk about experiences from the past. We'll talk about places we've been from the past. And invariably when we're together, we'll talk about one major experience that we had uh, when I was growing up. And my dad, before he became a pastor, was a home builder uh, in our town in Louisville, Kentucky. And, uh, uh, and my dad built some of the nicest, most beautiful homes in Louisville. And then later on, God called him into ministry, went to seminary and became a pastor. But when I was between my freshman and sophomore year of high school, my dad decided that I needed a practical skill. I guess he was looking at my grades, I'm not sure. And he was like, hey, I'm gonna teach you something outside of the academic arena. And so he decided that we should build a house together. So my dad called together a few of his old buddies in the building industry and we bought a lot together and we went to an architect and we drew up some plans together and we assembled a team of subcontractors together and we began to get to work. And I just tell you right here today, the moment that we put that shovel into the ground for the first time, everything went amazing. I mean, the permits showed up on time. All of our supplies showed up on time. The subcontractors showed up on time. They did their job the first time without having to be reminded about uh, coming back and doing it right. Uh, I mean, my dad and I, we uh, amazingly, we never argued throughout the whole process. I mean, it was absolutely amazing. And within just a few months, um, we were done on time and on budget. Anybody ever built a house before? (laughs) Absolutely not. I mean, everything that could go wrong went wrong in that scenario. I mean, permits didn't show up on time. We had an economic downturn right in the middle of building the house. And so once it was complete, it sat on the market forever. I remember showing up to the job site one day and the bathtubs were missing. The bathtubs that we had installed the day before, they were all gone. I don't know how you steal or why you steal bathtubs, but somebody came through the house and stole all the bathtubs out of the house. I mean, it was one thing after another. And any of us know, if we've ever had the experience of building anything, whether it be a house or a business or or a family, we all know that there are literally hundreds, if not thousands of variables that go into a project like that. And very few of the variables that go into it are we completely in charge of. There might be a small handful that we're completely in charge of, but most of the variables in life on the things that we work on in life are out of our control. We're dependent on others. We're dependent on other processes. We're dependent on other things to line themselves up in order to see it work. And rarely does it go the way that we have it built up in our mind. So you can imagine my amazement or astonishment when a few years after this experience with my dad, a a, a brand new TV show came on called Extreme Home Makeover. 
Extreme Home Makeover. And in this show, if you remember it, Ty Pennington, it was the host, he got together a group of crack builders and they would go around the country looking for a needy family, somebody whose home was in disrepair, somebody who oftentimes the home was unlivable. And so they would go into this town, they would tear the whole house down, they would bring it down to the ground, they would assemble hundreds if not thousands of volunteers, they would get local builders, and they would get everything lined up to rebuild a home for these people. And the whole hook of the show is, is that in the course of seven days, we'll level the old house and we'll assemble the new house in the course of seven days. And I, every now and then there'd be a little bit of drama that would pop up because they'd want you to think that maybe we're not gonna make the deadline. But every week on Sunday night at the 58 minute mark, Ty would gather the family out in front of that new house and they would yell what? Move that bus. And the bus would fire up, it would move out of the way and lo and behold, in seven days, there's your brand new house. What that show proved is that it is technically possible to build a house in seven days. Technically, it is possible. But the reality is that's not the world most of us live in. I don't know if you remember, but just a few years ago, this I-85 bridge collapsed right out here in front of 515. Do you know how fast they rebuilt that I-85 bridge? 53 days. How long does it normally take to build a bridge? It might be eight, nine, 10 years, 53 days. Technically, it's possible to do amazing things. But then reality starts to creep in. Real life, variables outside of our control, they start to creep in. And that is where all of us live today. There is great possibility in life. There are amazing possibilities in life. There are amazing plans that we can make in life, but the reality is we have to live in attention. Having a plan is not a bad thing. The Bible talks about having a plan. When God came to Noah and told him to build an ark, he gave him a plan. He said, listen, I want you to build it 300 cubits wide or long. I want you to build it 50 cubits wide and I want it to be 30 cubits high. I want you to put a hole in the top. I want it to be made of cypress wood. He gave Noah a very specific plan. When Gideon, God came to Gideon and said, listen, I want you to defeat the Midianites. God gave him a plan. He said, listen, here's how this is gonna go down. You're gonna take your army, 30,000 people in your army. You're gonna whittle it down to 300. Then you're gonna march into battle and you're going to be victorious. God gave him a very specific plan. When Jesus left the earth, he gave all of us a very specific plan. He said, you're gonna go into all the world and you're gonna make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. So having a plan is not a bad thing. It's actually a good thing. And many of you people in here who are planners today, when Land was talking earlier and when I'm talking right now about having a plan, if you're a planner and you just got goosebumps, you're like, this is amazing. I'm glad I came to church today. This is so awesome. Having a plan is a good thing. However, our plans have to be held in tension. Proverbs 19.2 says, many are the plans in the mind of man, but is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. 
Many can be our plans. Many can be our idea of what the future ought to look like, but the reality is it's the plans of God that are gonna be the things that actually prevail. Jesus, or Jeremiah says in Jeremiah 29, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Meaning there is a plan for you, but whose plan is it? It's God's plan. You see, it's never about the substance of the plan. It's never about the substance of the plan. You can have a plan that's full of great substance, but if the source of the substance isn't right, then the plan is always gonna be the wrong plan. So it's always about the source of the substance of the plan. All right, say that, source, source. It's always about the source of the substance. You see, it's always ultimately God's plan. But guess what? God uses our hands in the plan. So it's a combination between the two things. And for most of us, that's the tension that we live in in life. We live in this tension between the plan and reality. For a lot of us, when we set out in life, we have a plan. We have a plan. Our plan is gonna be to get a job, have a family, have some money, be in good health. I mean, whatever the plan is, whether you write that plan down or not, you have a plan. You have an idea of where you want to be in life. You have an ideal that you're moving toward. But then as we think about the plan, that plan is always juxtaposed with reality. And that gap in between the plan and reality is where most of us are gonna live our lives. And and, and here's the thing. We get this plan all worked up, but then our reality is a million miles away. So when Carmen and I got married, we've been married 25 years this year. Our oldest is 16. When we first got married, we thought, man, we're gonna have a bunch of kids. We're gonna serve the Lord together. But it was seven years. We've been told by every doctor that we visited that having kids was impossible for us biologically. And so we started going down a different path, but it felt like our plan and our reality started getting further and further apart. And here's what happens. When we live in that gap between plan and reality, the first step is usually discouragement, right? We get discouraged that things aren't quite adding up. I thought I'd be married by now. I thought I would have kids by now. I thought I would be in a different economic situation by now. I thought my health would be in a different place right now. I thought my business would be doing better than it is right now. And we have these plans. And the longer we live in that, it, it, it turns into discouragement. And then left unchecked, discouragement becomes anxiety. It starts to keep us up at night. It, it starts to worry us. We, we start to maybe lose weight. It starts to impact our health. And so left unchecked, discouragement becomes anxiety and then left unchecked even further, left untreated further, that starts to become depression. And it, just, it, become, and it feels like the gulf is getting wider and wider. 
But, but here's the promise of God for us today. He doesn't want us to live in that gulf. He, does, he says we don't have to live in that gulf. He wants to bring our plan and our reality together. He wants to bring those two things together because he has a plan for us. I have a plan for you, declares the Lord, meaning God is not absent of the plan. But what God is wanting to do is get us on board with his plan for our life. And when we get on, plan, on board with his plan for our life, that's when we start to understand the immeasurably more. The immeasurably more does not happen when we invite God to get on board with our plan. God, I want to do it this way. I want to do it that way. Please come and get uh, on board with my plan. I remember in high school praying, God, please let the girl like me. You know, and you just kind of pray that in agony overnight. You know, just, God, please let her like me. And then I, then I realized that that may not be the plan. And then I really celebrated when Garth Brooks came out with the song, Thank God for Unanswered Prayers, because God didn't answer that prayer. And later he brought Carmen into my life. But oftentimes we make these plans and we ask God to bless the plan. When God is saying back to us, no, 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 no. It's not about your plan. I want you to get on board with my plan. And guess what? I will be able to fulfill you and make you happy and joyful in ways that you never thought possible. And so how do we, how do we shrink the gap? How do we shrink the gap? Well, we shrink the gap when we start to realize that there's an intersection that we need to live our lives at. We need to live our lives at the intersection of faith and wisdom. We need to live our lives at the intersection of faith and wisdom. Both of these things are realities in the word of God. Both of these things are things that God has given us as tools to live our lives by. Faith and wisdom are both amazing things, but faith and wisdom are always carried in tension with one another. Let, let me explain. So on the faith side, our faith is the things that we believe in. It's what we believe. Wisdom is the clarification of that belief. Let me repeat that one more time. Faith is our beliefs, what we are believing in. Wisdom is the clarification of that belief. So let me explain. The Bible says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Every high school kid puts that in their yearbook, right? If they get to write a Bible verse uh, when they're a senior in high school. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Does that mean that if I say that verse enough that I can go out and be LeBron James? Absolutely not. There was probably a time where I thought I could be, but reality set in and I can't be LeBron James, all right? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But then the Bible says, also use whatever gifts you have been given. He's given some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some he's given the gift of administration, some he's given the gift of hospitality. God has given us all different gifts. So which is it? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, or I've been given specific gift. It's both. It's faith and wisdom. There's an intersection here on these things. On one hand, on the faith side, I can do all things. The wisdom side says, no, God has wired me for a specific purpose. The Bible says on the faith side that we're to be witnesses to the ends of the earth. 
I just said that verse just a minute ago that we're to go into all the world and be witnesses. This caused me all kinds of problems as a high school kid because I'd hear the preacher talk about being witnesses to the ends of the earth. And I thought that that meant I'm gonna have to go live in some remote, far out place if I wanna serve God. But the reality is when we, when we look at the scripture, we see that it's balanced. Paul, probably the greatest missionary in the scripture, he didn't go everywhere. Scripture tells us very clearly that Paul skipped over Asia. So the greatest missionary didn't go to one of the largest places. The Holy Spirit told him not to go there. Even Jesus, when you look at the ministry of Jesus, Jesus' ministry was in Galilee and in Jerusalem. He didn't go everywhere. So which is it? To the ends of the earth? Or is it stay home? No, it's, it's some balance of the two things. Another one is where sin abounds, Grace abounds all the more. I hear people quote this on Saturday night all the time. God, let your grace abound. And on one hand, that is truth from scripture, but that's always juxtaposed with there are consequences to your actions. There are consequences to our sin. The scripture says very clearly, the wages of our sin ultimately leads to death. And so there's a tension there. Jesus turned water into wine, but then in the same Scripture, it says, do not be drunk with wine. So which is it? What's it all about? The Bible says, be all things to all people. But then it also says, don't be a stumbling block. Don't speak the truth always in love. The scripture says, it's about the work of our hands. But then it also says that the work of our hands are established by him. So it's living at that intersection of faith and wisdom. And as we start to understand where we are on that continuum, we start to understand the heartbeat of God. The media loves to sell faith. The media is in the faith business. They want to share with you and they want to teach you everything that is possible. They want, to, they want to give you all the tools for what might be possible. And so if you want to be financially secure, there's a tool out there for you. You need to invest in crypto or you need to use the envelope system or you need to maximize your 401k or you need to get a side hustle. And all these things will make you financially secure. And so you don't have to go very far for somebody to teach you that and be telling you all these different mechanisms for being financially secure. But then when you go on the wisdom side, the scripture is very clear. Listen, if you just spend less than you make, if you steadily save and steadily invest, the scripture says steadily plod, then you will be financially secure. There's a balance, there's a tension. If you wanna be physically fit, there's all kinds of things in the media teaching you, here's what you need to do to be physically fit. If you wanna do intermittent fasting, maybe that's your thing. Or if you wanna do CrossFit, or if you wanna do Peloton or Jenny Craig or kicking it way back, if you wanna do Weight Watchers, here's all the programs that you need to be physically fit. And then when it all boils down on the wisdom side, it really boils down to just eat less and exercise more, right? And there's a tension there, but the media would love to sell to us all the time the faith. Put your faith in this product, but faith not balanced by wisdom is errant. Faith not balanced by wisdom 
is Aaron. So here's where I want to land today. I want to give us four questions that we should be asking as we start to think about what does it look like to live at the intersection of faith and wisdom. Four questions you should be asking as you're thinking about living at the intersection of faith and wisdom. Question number one, am I seeking first the kingdom of God? Am I seeking first the kingdom of God? In my life, is the trajectory of my life seeking first the kingdom of God? When we seek first the kingdom of God, the scripture says all these things will be added to us. When we seek first the kingdom of God, it rules out a lot of other things. So if you're trying to get a a trajectory for your life, a direction for your life, just start by seeking the kingdom of God. And as you're seeking the kingdom of God, ask a couple more questions. Is what I'm doing, is 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 the path that I'm on, is it bringing glory to God? Are my actions bringing glory to God? Does this plan consider others more highly than myself? Does this plan put others in front of me? These are all questions that we can ask ourselves as we're wondering, are we on a trajectory towards seeking first the kingdom of God? So that's the first question, seek first the kingdom of God. Second question is, am I operating in my lane? Am I operating in my lane? This might be one of the most dangerous places in our society right now that we live in is we are being taught that we're supposed to live in everybody else's lane and not the lane that we've been given to run in. We are being reminded all the time that there are thousands of lanes over here that look more appealing than the lane that we think we've been given to run in. And all we have to do is whip out the phone and and you know, scroll through TikTok or, or one of the reels on Instagram and you just see the lane that everybody else is in. And it looks like everybody else is more successful financially. They're driving a better car. They're having far better parties. Their dating life or their married life are far better than my life. And so all of a sudden, we're looking over in the other lanes, not paying attention to the lane that we're in, and we're getting distracted by the other lane. And the truth of the matter is we've been given a lane to run in. We've been given gifts, we've been given a purpose, we've been wired by God Almighty to run in the lane that we've been given. Do you know why they put the the warning strips and lines on the interstate? I mean, if you think about it, there's like four different kinds at least of warning signs on the interstate. And so if you're cruising down I-85, the first warning sign that you're getting out of your lane are the white dotted lines. And when you cross the white dotted lines, that's usually not that big of a deal, right? As long as you look over there, kind of look in your mirror, uh, and you're just, you get over because hopefully everybody's going in the same direction. Hopefully everybody's moving in the right direction. You're going with the flow of traffic. You can ease over into a different lane. That's not that bad. But then the next warning sign that you have is the solid white line. And the solid white line is a little bit more of a warning. The solid light white line says, listen, when you get over into this area, now you're in the emergency lane. This, there's a little something different going on over here. There, there may be something up there blocking up ahead or, or it, the emergency lane may end at some point. When you cross the solid white line, then you might need to pay more attention. And then you get over into that emergency lane, fully planted over there, then what do you hit? You hit the rumble strips. And the rumble strips are there to to wake you up. 
Like, listen, this is your last warning because the next barrier out here is the guardrail or the median. And you go over the guardrail or the median, now you're into oncoming traffic and this is gonna be a problem for you. So God is asking us to just stay in our lane. And when we are tempted to kind of veer over into somebody else's lane, he gives us warning signs. That's why he gives us the church. That's why he gives us scripture. That's why he encourages us to be around people that can spur us on and encourage us in our lane, not in somebody else's lane. And then he gives us little warning signs because we go too far out of our lane and we get into oncoming traffic, it's too late. You see, it's always the decision before the decision before the decision before the decision that gets us in trouble. It's not jumping over the median at the last second. Nobody goes from the right lane to over the median in one leap. It usually starts subtly. I'm going to get over in the dotted line and then over the the solid line, and then it ultimately becomes problematic. So we need to run in our lane. And you need to ask yourself, am I secure in the lane that I've been given? Am I secure in that lane? Number three question you need to ask is, am I counting the cost? Am I counting the cost? Luke 14 says, for which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it or not? Question, can I afford what I'm doing? Can I afford this? Next question, am I willing to pay the price for what I am doing? Am I willing to see this thing through to the end? Am I, am I willing to do what's required to persevere to the end on this thing? These are all things that we should sit down and count the cost on before we jump into it. When we started the church at Cumberland, we called it the miracle at Cumberland when we began looking for property. And the reason we called it the miracle at Cumberland is because the year before we announced that location, the, the Atlanta Braves had announced that they were in fact moving to Cumberland. And so as we began to look at property up in the Cumberland area, it was almost impossible because every available piece of property up there was being snatched up or the land prices had gone way up. And so there were a couple guys in the church that we would go out and just walk properties up in the Cumberland area. And there's probably wasn't an available piece of property up there at the time that me and a couple of guys in the church didn't walk. Well, we finally landed on this one piece of property, very prominently placed in the Cumberland area. And it was about two and a half acres of property. And so we signed a letter of intent with the owner of the property and they let us have what's called a due diligence period. So if you're not in real estate or in real estate development, there's always a due diligence period. Praise God for the due diligence period because the due diligence period is where you get to count the cost. And so when you start counting the cost of what would it look like to build a church on this two and a half to three acre piece of property, technically possible, it's gonna be tight. We started doing a lot of due diligence. And one of the things that we did during the due diligence process is we called in a geologist. And the geologist goes underneath the ground and digs up soil samples to tell us what we can't see under the ground. So was this the former site of like a nuclear waste dump? You know, I mean, those kind of things. Was it, a, was it a junkyard at one time? I mean, whatever the case might be. And so when we got the geology report back, the geologist told us that underneath the ground on this two and a half acres, it was solid granite. 
solid granite. And we were going to have to blast through all of that. Well, if you're building a church building on two and a half acres, you're probably going to have to have some subterranean levels, like a parking garage or something under the ground. And so immediately, all of our cost to build that building went up like three or four times when it came to just preparing the land. And so immediately, we knew this is probably not going to work out for us. And we were all sad because we were, we were very focused on that piece of property, but we counted the cost. Well, about the time we realized this is not going anywhere, that this is probably not going to be possible, we got another phone call from another real estate agent. And he said, listen, I've got a piece of property that's not on the market yet. And I know you guys are looking. Would you want to come and look at it? He said, the property is at I-285 and Paces Ferry Road. It's the property that Passion City Church Cumberland is on today. You see, by taking the time to count the cost, not only did we realize that we were probably going to be getting out over our skis, but in taking the time to count the cost, God was working. And when we talked to that real estate agent, he said, the reason this property hasn't been on the market is because it's been, it's been tied up in the courts and hasn't been able to be listed yet. So the whole time we're working due diligence, God's working over here. And the time that we thought we had hit a barrier, God opened up a door because we took time to do some due diligence. We were, we were patient. We were willing to count the cost. So counting the cost just isn't a simple exercise of budgeting. Counting the cost may save you from some disastrous decision where you think, man, I'm just going to go for it. I'm just going to jump into the deep end of the pool. We'll figure it out when we get in there. And the whole time, God may be saving you from something. So that's question number three. Am I counting the cost? And then the last question is this. Am I numbering my days? Am I numbering my days? In our scripture today in Psalm 90, if you back up a few verses from verse 17, where we started today, it says this, verse 12, Psalm 90, it says, so teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. So teach us to number our days so that we may get a heart of wisdom. You see, when we start numbering our days, we start to learn a few things. It starts to create a little bit of urgency for us. As Brad mentioned yesterday, several of us were in Houston for the celebration of life for Bud Graves. Bud was Shelly Giglio's father, and it was amazing to listen to story after story of Bud's faithfulness and his character and the life that he lived in his 86 years on this planet. The day before that celebration of life, I was at another celebration of life in, in Louisville, where I'm from, and a mentor of mine, a guy that had been a mentor uh, for a lot of years, probably 40 years in my life, he passed away last week. His son was my best friend. And again, we were there and you just listened to story after story of God's faithfulness and how these people live their lives. And then reminded this week, just in our own house, some friends of ours, their mother was killed in a tragic car accident this past week. And so her celebration of life is on Tuesday night. And 
another person down at Trillith in our location down at Trillith. His mom passed away this week at 91. And in this past September, my wife and I, we have a, a, an almost adopted daughter. We, we called her our daughter. Her name was Tanya, Tanya Hunter. Tanya was probably one of our number one door holders around here, always in bloom. Well, Tanya tragically passed away in the middle of the night. We don't have any answers. We just know that she was alive when she went to bed and when she woke up or when her sister went in to check on her, she was not. No answer. She was 27 years old. So when we get to situations like that in life, whether it's at a celebration of life for somebody who's lived a long time or for somebody who seemingly died young, we always hopefully kind of reflect on our own lives. And it causes us to start numbering our days and realizing that I'm, I'm not invincible. That at some point, at a time that I don't know, this will probably, this will come to an end. And we start adding it up. I know in my own life, every year on my birthday, I would always like double my age. And that all was working out pretty good until I turned 46 last year. And then I started, that's 92. And then, and it sobers you up to think I'm not invincible. As I think about numbering our days, you know, we kind of have a way of thinking in our culture that somebody who lives into their 80s or 90s has lived a, an old, lived to ripe old age. My wife's grandmother was 101 when she passed away just a few years ago. And then somebody like Tanya, we say, well, she died so young at age 27. And, and I just want to help set the record straight a little bit today. Compared to what? That one lived to a ripe old age and one died young. Compared to what? Because if you look at Carmen's grandmother who died at 101, compared to people, say, in the Old Testament who lived a long, long time, then my Carmen's grandmother died very young. <laughs> but if you look at Tanya's life, it died at 27 years, five months, and 15 days. When you compare where she came from, she was abandoned at birth. Her mom died at childbirth. She was ultimately rescued by Cameroonian missionaries. The life expectancy of children in her particular situation was very, very minimal. And so compared to the circumstances that she came from, 27 years, five months, and 15 days was a long time. The truth for all of us today, when we start numbering our days, what we realize is that ultimately we don't know. And ultimately what we come to understand is that God is in charge of all of our days. And hopefully for all of us, that spurs us on to maximize the time that we have, to steward well the time that we have, to not put off till tomorrow what we can certainly take care of today. When we start numbering our days, we stop tricking ourselves into this one day thinking, one day I'll get around to that, one day I'll, I'll do this or I will do that. And we start to do it now because we realize that we're not guaranteed forever. 
You see, the scripture says that when we number our days, that's where the heart of wisdom is. So, so when we couple, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me with the wisdom that comes through numbering our days, we realize I can't be good at everything. I can't be the best at everything. I can't bounce around to this or that and try this and try that. I've ultimately got to, at some point, lock into something. And I'm going to make a difference in the lane that I've been given. And that's what numbering our days does. And so if you want to understand where the heart of wisdom comes from, we have to stop thinking that we're invincible, that this goes on forever, that we can get around to it one day. On that same trip to Louisville, when I was hanging out with my dad, after talking about building the house together, um, he was driving me back to the airport on Friday night, and uh, he was telling me about his next trip that he was going on. So my dad retired uh, about 15 years ago or so from the pastorate. And ever since he retired, he's been giving his whole life to serving the people of Vietnam. And that's a long story, and I'll tell you the story of why at some other point. But for 15 years, he's been serving the people of Vietnam. And he'll spend three or four months in Vietnam every year. And so as he was driving me to the airport, he was telling, about, telling me about his next trip, which he's leaving this month uh, to go over for several weeks. And he was saying, well, Aaron, you know, a couple of years ago, I found this group of people that live up on the, the Vietnam-China border. And there's about a million of them up there and they're very isolated up in the mountains. They're the Hmong people. And so I just have felt very compelled that I'm gonna spend my days going up there and serving people. So my dad, 75 years old, flies into Hanoi, gets on a motorbike, makes his way up to the mountains between China and Vietnam. Well, as we were going to the airport the other night, he said, well, among those million people, I found that there's a group of 30,000, there's a people group right in the middle of them. And I can't find one single church among that people group. And I don't even know if there's one single believer among that people group. So here's what I'm gonna do on my next trip here in February is I'm gonna get up in there and I'm gonna figure out if I can find a believer among those people. And if I, and if I can, we're gonna start planting a church among these people. And if I don't find a believer, then we'll start doing evangelism among these people, hope that somebody will come to faith, and then we, then we can start a church. My dad's 75 years old, on a moped up in the highlands of Vietnam. And he just made up his mind. I'm not retiring. They may have to carry me out from the mountains of Vietnam, but I'm not wasting a second because we only got one shot. So I don't want any of us to leave confused today because it's not about going to the highlands of Vietnam. Remember, we talked about that earlier. It's not about that. But what it is about is finding what's the intersection of faith and wisdom in your life. Because there is one. There isn't immeasurably more waiting for you. There's something that God wants you to tap into for your life. And he's promised that to you. But it's not gonna be you seeking after your desires and hoping God's gonna catch up. It's all gonna start when you get your heart in tune with who God is. 
and you get on board with his kingdom, you get on board with his kingdom purposes, and then all of these things will be added unto you. That's what the scripture promises. And so for us today, as we close this gathering and as we come to a time of response, the response really is simple today. What does the intersection of faith and wisdom look like for me? What does it look like to live in the center of what God has for my life? Am I asking all of the right questions? Am I, am I maximizing things to their greatest degree? Am I stewarding everything that I have to its greatest possible outcome? Am I leveraging everything that I've been given for God's glory and his purpose? That's where we start. That's where we start to ask those questions. And so as we respond today, that is our response. God, what does the intersection of faith and wisdom look like for me. If you were encouraged by today's talk, be sure to rate us and hit subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you stream your podcast. To experience other talks, videos, and live gatherings, visit us online at passioncitychurch.com or download the Passion Movement app. And again, thank you for listening to the Passion City Church podcast.